Everything that I get from God, I've got to work for it. It's based upon what I do, rather than recognizing that it's based on what Jesus has already done. You know, to me, that's, that's the biggest difference between walking in grace and walking in the law, is under the law, we feel like we still have to get something. But when we realize that Jesus has already done it all, we do appropriate it, but we look at it from the standpoint that it's already been done for me, um, and so uh, I just need to receive what Jesus has done for me. You know, it changes our prayer life. Our prayer life makes an adjustment from being gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy, to, you know, Father, thank you for what you've already done for me, and it becomes a life of praise and thanksgiving uh, for what he's already done for us what he's provided for us. And as we've said over and over again, uh, grace is God's part. That's what he's provided for us. It's everything that he's done. You know, when we were born again, uh, everything was poured out on the inside of us of what Jesus has done. The fruit of the Spirit is there. Uh, we don't have to try to get the fruit of the Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit. But what we need to do is allow it uh, to begin to manifest in our life. And I think that's why oftentimes <clears throat> believers have struggled so much with that because they're trying to get something that they already have rather than recognize I already have it. Now um, I release it and I recognize that it's already on the inside of me. You know, and I believe that's where we get the peace that surpasses human understanding. Uh, we, we recognize that we already have it. We recognize what God has already done for us, what he's already done for us, and so we're going to rest in that and the consequence is peace, you know, or the joy of the Lord. It's our strength. We have joy because we may not see the victory manifested right now, but we know that the victory is ours. And so even before we, we see the manifestation of it, we're able to call those things that be not as though they were and recognize that it's already been accomplished through Christ Jesus. And so <clears throat> it's... It, it comes down to really having a good understanding of the Word of God, of what Jesus has truly provided for us. And so let's get started in our notes tonight. Um, in Ephesians, the first chapter is where we're going to, or second chapter is where we're going to start. And we're going to read first verse 5, and then we're going to drop down to verses 8 and 9. But it says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, um, aren't you glad that God didn't have to clean us up before he could make us righteous? You know, he, he paid the price for us while we were yet dead in sin. And so what this is telling us is um, even before we ever sinned, the price was paid for. You know, the Bible says in the, in the heart of God, uh, Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. And so think about that. By faith, in the heart of God, um, your sin and my sin was already paid for uh, before we breathed our first breath of air. Jesus had already paid the price, taken care of sin. So it's not really a sin issue. It's, it's a faith issue. It's recognizing what Jesus has already done for us. And so even when we were, uh, well, let's just start in the fourth verse. 
but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And so it's because of love. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Then we get to verse 8. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we don't have anything to boast about because it was provided for us through grace. Grace, as we see here, is never alone. In the scripture of faith, is deliberately mentioned with grace because that's how we, we appropriate, that's how we receive um, that grace into our life. We do it by faith, recognizing what Jesus has done for us and then we begin to walk in that, we begin to stand in it. God did much for us by grace before we ever existed. And so it was done, like I said earlier, before the foundation of the world. Of the world. And so, <clears throat> You know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of negative things that we see in this world, but our positive response to that is always faith. You know, what the, what the enemy wants to do is he wants us to buy into the negative. He wants us to confess the negative. He, you know, <laughs> I, I was going to be a good citizen tonight and, and uh, listen to the news. And uh, I kept switching, trying to find something my soul could bear and uh, never did. And the hard part was because of all the political commercials, the commercials were even worse than the news. So um, thank God for, what's it called, Isaac? Um, last man standing. You know, it was last resort. You always end up at 166 if you're, if you're on dish. And you can get last man standing 24 hours a day. And uh, at least politically, I can agree with him. You know, and, I mean, that's really bad when you have a sitcom that you can agree. But, it, but it's so negative. And it just, it, just wants to, it just wants to draw you in. It wants you to focus on the negative. It wants you to see the hopelessness that's out there. And the world is hopeless without Jesus. But see, we don't have to be drawn into the negative. We can look at the positive. We, we, we receive and appropriate the positive, and we do it by, by faith. Uh, and so that's why the Word of God is so important, because we expose ourselves to the positive rather than the negative. And the negative will always take us down. It'll always take us to a place where we really don't want to be. Um, you know, it's amazing how we oftentimes, we, we find that as almost our, our safe place because it's so normal, because we're in a world that's so negative. And we, we almost don't recognize the negativity entering in because we've spent so much of our life um, dwelling there. But we, we need to recognize and we need to come out of that and we need to approach Jesus. Uh, in Titus 2.11 it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's, appeared, it's available to all men. It's appeared to all men. 
You know, <clears throat> we know what the scripture says, that it's his will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And by that scripture, what we know is that God presents the opportunity to everybody to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now the problem is um, people reject it. They don't want to receive it. Um, they want to hold on to. Uh, they don't see it as such, but the negativity of the world. They want to hang on to that rather than release it and walk in the fullness of the blessing that's been made available to us. It says, for the grace of God. And of course we know that Grace is God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. I mean, if we had to earn it, if we had to deserve it, it would no longer be grace. It would be a wage. And of course, we know what the scripture says, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. I don't, I don't want my wage. I don't want what I deserve. I want grace. I want mercy. I, I, I never want God to say, well, you know, I'm just going to give you what you deserve. Now that's a good time to start begging. Because <laughs> I don't want what I deserve. I want grace and mercy. I want unmerited favor. And that's what he's made available to us. His favor has nothing to do with us except for the fact that we're beneficiaries. Let me just read that again. His favor has nothing to do with us except for the fact that we are his beneficiaries. I really, I really believe that. You know, our, our life um, has been so blessed, um, but we've really not done anything to deserve it. We've cooperated with God. We've cooperated with the Holy Spirit. We followed his leading to the best of our ability. But, you know, we didn't, we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. Um, it's just his blessings that he wants to pour out upon each and every one of us. And, and God's not a respecter of persons. He desires for each of us to experience the abundance of blessing that he's made available uh, to one and all. This next statement. If grace alone saved, then every person on the planet would be saved. Let me read that again. If grace alone saved. Well, Pastor, I thought you say it's by grace alone. Yeah, it's, it's grace alone that we are in a position to receive what Jesus has done for us, but we still, we still receive it by faith. If it was grace alone, and see, there's the, there's the, there's the kicker uh, if, we don't, if we don't put grace and faith side by side. Because if it's simply grace alone, then everything that, that Jesus has done, it's, it's automatically going to manifest in our life. But as we saw in, in, in Ephesians uh, 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's the grace, but we receive it by faith. And that's where our faith comes in. That's how we receive what Jesus has done for us. You know, <clears throat> Uh, scripture says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. And so I believe that. But you know what? It's not just a, uh, an acceptance of what the scripture says. There's an action that goes along with that. And what the action is, it's, it's, it's faith 
that is released in our life. You know, and that's why our confession is so important. You know, when we begin to, you know, talk about healing and prosperity and deliverance and all those things, when we confess it, that isn't, um, that isn't God making it available to us. It's, it's us positioning ourselves in a place to recognize what Jesus has done for us and basically saying, well, that belongs to me then. And so there's, a, there's an acknowledgement of it. And that's where faith comes in. Um, faith isn't this, you know, we, we've I've done series on faith. And I think sometimes, you know, the words of Charles Capps is so real. You know, Charles Capps is the one who made the statement, you know, the Bible is so simple it takes a teacher to confuse you. <laughs> and I really believe that that's true. And so we do our series on faith, and I think sometimes we make it appear to be so complicated, but really it's, it's so simple. It's, it's simply coming to a place where we trust what Jesus says. We believe him above everything else. I trust, I believe what the word says about my, my circumstance, my situation, rather than what I see with my physical eye or what other people are telling me. I'm going to put my trust in Christ and in Christ alone. But it's recognizing what he's already accomplished for me through faith. And so they, they work together. You know, and that's the thing that I want us to see. It, it isn't grace or faith. It's grace and faith working together, applied together, that allows us to experience the abundance. If we think grace is based on our actions, then it would no longer be grace. We would be frustrating the grace of God. The moment that we think we, we ought to have something because, you know, well, I've, I've done pretty good. You know, I earned it. I've deserved it. We frustrate grace at that point because we're, we're no longer dependent on grace. We're, we're, we're relying upon our actions. You know, I remember uh, the church that I grew up in. Well, I actually, I didn't grow up in this church. It was, I was plumbing. This, this was before Christ, too, but... Uh, we lived in Truman, Minnesota. My brother lived in the same town. We went to the same church. And uh, at that time, that particular church, they still um, recorded everybody's giving. You know, so the, the church report would come out every year and everybody's name would be listed and what they, they gave that year would be listed behind it. Um, Everybody say thank, praise the Lord. We don't do that here, you know. But but everybody would be listed, and you know you're not supposed to judge and or all that stuff. But you know I'd get that report, and the first thing that I would do is I would turn to the S's because I wanted to make sure that the two bucks I threw in every week was more than the two bucks my brother threw in every week, you know. And you know the the comparison. And so then when I'd see that, you know I'd. Yeah, I gave more than he did this. Feel pretty good about myself, you know. And I'd say, well, you know, you're you're a pretty good guy. You know, you do you mess up some. And I said, yeah, but you know, I'm better than my brother. Well, you know, the problem is, is we don't get to compare with our brother. We don't get to compare with one another. Our comparison is always with Jesus. And uh, you don't measure up on your best day. Sorry, that, that, that's just 
just how it is. And that's, that's why we rely upon the grace of God. And so that's why we don't have, I don't have to look at my, my, my effort. I don't have to look at my, you know, my actions because of the grace of God. Everything that he, that he has is mine, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And so that's where we look. Uh, in Galatians, the second chapter, the 21st verse, it says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I do not set aside. I do not frustrate. I do not um, try to work to get God's grace, to get God's favor in my life. I have God's favor. And so if we, if we begin to depend upon self, what we're doing is we're actually, we're actually setting aside and saying, God, I don't need your grace. I can, I can handle this on my own. I don't, I don't need you in this situation. Well, I need him in every situation. And, and notice what it says. I do not, this is Paul speaking, says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If we get it through the law, if I get it through my own efforts, then I didn't need Jesus in the first place. Then what was the, what was the point? Jesus could have just as well not come. He might have just as well not died on that cross and suffered that horrible death that he suffered. But he did it because we couldn't, we couldn't manage it in our, on our own. We couldn't do it without his grace, without his mercy. Still in your notes in, in Acts, the 16th chapter, uh, 30th and 31st verse says, and, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You know, and so uh, if there wasn't an act of faith that was involved, um, he could have just simply said, well, you know, the grace of God is sufficient. You don't need to do anything else. But that's not what he said. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. But notice that the only action that there is is, is to believe. Now, now, we've taken in Romans where it says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And I believe that's an, an important process to go through. You know, because... It, it solidifies something on the inside of you. But according to this scripture, what he's saying is what we need to do is believe. You know, I, I think um, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised at some of the people that we see there um, because they believed. They, they, didn't, they didn't use the right terminology that we use and so on and so forth, but they believed. You know, the essential part is, the essential thing is, do we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I happen to believe if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to produce a response. And that response is going to be words that uh, affirm what you believe in your heart. But, you know, I, I believe there's people out there that affirm that um, by actions because their life begins to change. They, they're, they're <laughs> their confession is lousy. But their believing is right. 
And that's what we need to do is we need to, we need to make sure that our believing is right in, in every area. So salvation comes by believing. And again, I believe it's important that we confess. I would always encourage somebody to do that because to me that's their first act of faith. They're confessing uh, what they're believing in their heart. And, you know, and that's just the beginning of a life of that then. That's what our whole life is as a believer is confessing what we believe in our heart. Sickness tries to attach itself to your body. What's your confession? I believe that by the stripes of Jesus I've been healed. Why? Because I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sin, therefore I speak that out. And so that's my faith in action. That's my faith appropriating what Jesus has done for me. Like I said before, the gospel is so simple. So simple. But we make it, we make it way too difficult. Well, you know, Pastor, if we make it too simple, everybody will get saved. That's the idea. That's the intent. That everybody would get saved. That's Jesus' desire. And that ought to be ours. Christ died for our sins. Therefore, we're now forgiven. You know, you know the, the tragedy of hell, to me, is that Jesus paid the price for every man, woman, or child that will ever go to hell. Jesus paid the price for them so that they might go to heaven. But everyone that, does, that doesn't go to heaven, that goes to hell, they've rejected what Jesus has done for them in one way or another. And so to me, the tragedy of hell, it's not the fire and brimstone. The tragedy of hell is that for each and every one of those individuals, the price was say, paid for them to go to heaven. You know, I, I believe in uh, um, predestination. I believe in it. But I believe every human being has been predestined for heaven. But they would people reject the will of God. Predestination is God's will. But you know what? We reject it all the time. And that's what happens. That's why people suffer the penalty. In 1 John 2, 2 it says, And he himself, he himself. Now, <clears throat> You got to understand in when this is being translated from the Greek there's certain things within the Greek and in the Hebrew too but in the Greek it, it, it's there for emphasis and so you, you'll see as you, you read through you see words that are repeated but they really don't need to be repeated you know um, he himself. You really shouldn't have to say he himself. It's, it's himself did or he did. But it's emphasized, he himself. And so what that means is he himself or he and nobody else. There isn't anybody else qualified to do what Jesus did. He himself did it. Because there wasn't anybody else that was ever qualified or will ever be qualified. And so... He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only. But listen to this. But for the whole world. 
That's what I mean. It, it's for everyone. And so even those that reject him, it was for them. You know, you can take the most horrendous, horrible individual that you could ever think of. We're, we're watching a documentary, documentary on the Roosevelt's and it's talking about Teddy and, and, uh, uh, and uh, FDR. And, uh, you know, and right now we're in the, uh, the Second World War and we're, it, it's showing pictures of the horrible things that took place um, by the Japanese and by the, by the Germans and by Hitler. And, and uh, you know, it, Hitler was a pretty evil dude. But do you realize that Jesus died for his sin? I mean, that's, that's mind-boggling. You think, well, you know, that, he, that dude's got to be an exception. No. For the whole world, for each and every individual, Jesus paid the price for them. You know, it just shows what can happen to humanity when you reject Jesus over and over and over and over again. You know, and... Uh, but he paid the price. He himself, nobody else, is a propitiation, paid the price, paid the penalty, made the way for humanity that we might live in total victory because of what Jesus has done for us. He died for our sins before we even committed them. Think about that. He died for our sins before we even committed them. You know, so it, it's an, sin really is a non-issue. The issue is, will I believe on and will I receive Jesus? That's the issue. Because the sin has been taken care of. The only sin that will cost us our salvation is the rejection of Jesus Christ. We receive him and we have life and we have it abundantly. John 16 8 through 9 says, And when he has come, and when he has come, talking of the, Holy, of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in, in me. You know, and so what's the sin that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of? Not receiving Jesus, not accepting him, not receiving what he's done for them. And so the number one uh, purpose for the Holy Spirit to come is for men to be saved and that they might come um, to truth. And so really what we see is, and this, this, is, this, is, this is all sin. This this. If you really stop and you examine sin, the root of all sin is unbelief. You know, why, why does an individual commit adultery? Because they don't believe that God can satisfy the need that they have in their life. Why does an in individual overdrink? Because they don't think that they're going to be able to find happiness um, to satisfy their life in any other 
avenue. Why does an individual steal? Because they don't believe that God is going to be able to provide for all of their needs. So the root of every sin is unbelief. That's why when we believe on Jesus Christ and we spend time in his word, those sins that beset us, they fall by the wayside because we no longer see a need for it because we see that God is our provider in every one of those areas. When we begin to trust in him, we begin to believe in him, we begin to have confidence in him. And so the answer to, to sin is belief. Trusting in Jesus, recognizing what he's done for us. To realize that by his grace we've been saved and, and salvation is, is all inclusive. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but you know, salvation in the Greek, sozo, is an all-inclusive term. It's not just simply talking about going to heaven. It's talking about healing. It's talking about prosperity. It's talking about deliverance. And it's not just talking about the physical realm or the soulless realm. It's talking about every area of our life that God desires to provide all of our needs. And so what, what salvation does when we begin to trust in Jesus, the unbelief in every one of those areas begins to begins to go by the wayside. You know, <clears throat> I say when I got saved, I, I committed the two unpardonable sins, you know, according to our family. You know, I left the Missouri Lutheran Church that we grow up in, and I left the Democratic Party. And, uh, you know, but it was all based on, on what I saw in the scriptures. You know, because, you know, so much of what, what people hold on to it, it, it's, it's the consequence of fear. And what's the root of fear? Unbelief. Because we don't put our trust, we don't put our confidence in Him. And so, um, when we get rid of the sin, we get rid of the unbelief. How do we get rid of the unbelief? We begin to believe, we begin to trust, we begin to recognize what Jesus has done for us. And so by faith, we receive the grace that's already been made available to us. In Hebrews 8, in Hebrews 8, and we're going to start uh, reading in the 11th verse, or excuse me, in the 10th verse. And it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, nor his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You know, so it says here that he's, that he's given us a new covenant. And it's not just for us, it's for the house of Israel, but the house of Israel 
you know, the Bible says that their stumbling block was Jesus. They couldn't receive Jesus. They wouldn't receive him. And so uh, they, they weren't able to receive salvation. And so what did they try to do? They tried to abide by the law. Now, it's an interesting thing. Um, we see over and over again when we go through this, we see that the law was added. You know, it was, it was added to the covenant of Abraham. It was added to the promise of Abraham. And it was added so that they might, they might see their sin. But you know what the law does? Is the law produces a sin consciousness. Um, if, if you focus on the law, if, if that's what you put in front of you, and if that becomes your standard, what happens is, is you begin to have a, a sin consciousness. You know, I remember when I was first saved. I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to live a holy life. And so, you know, <clears throat> uh, I, I, I resisted the devil and, and these areas in my life that I wanted to, to, to clean up, that I wanted them to change. I would focus on those areas. I'd, I'd spend so much time focusing on those areas. And you know what happened? Those areas dominated my life. It was a sin consciousness. That's, that's what dominated my life, was, was those particular areas where I wanted to have the victory, but I didn't have the victory. As much as I wanted it, you know, I mean, <clears throat> I'd confess it, I'd repent of it, and thank you, Lord, that I'm free from it. And by the next morning, I was guilty again. You know, as one of my good friends, Dave Toynoy, said, he says, you know, every growing up, I wanted to live right for God, and every Sunday night I went to church and got born again again. You know, because he knew, because he was born again, he wasn't supposed to do these certain things, and, you know, he said, by Monday afternoon, I'd lost my salvation again. Had, had, no, had no righteousness consciousness, had no understanding of that when Jesus has saved you, you're saved. That every time you mess up, you don't lose your salvation. And so, start all over again. And that's where, that's where so many believers are. They have this, they have this sin consciousness, and they, get, they can't get past that. They can't, they can't see who they are in Christ Jesus. You know, <clears throat> um, shared a teaching quite a while back, and it was talking about what filter do you look through? You know, every one of us, we, we, the way we see the world and the way we see our life, we're looking through a filter. You know, you know what filters do. They change the color of things and so on and so forth. But, but we have a filter. And, and do we look at the world and our lives through the filter of the law? If we do, we're going to have a sin consciousness. But if we look at our life through the filter of grace... We're going to see what Jesus has done for us. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to filter out that sin consciousness because we're going to begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. And when we begin to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us, that's when we're going to walk in it. But when we see ourselves dominated and controlled by the world, that's how we're going to walk. You know, I, I, I mean... People say, well, you know, that, that's psycho babble, you know, it just, you know, I don't believe that stuff. Well, you know, it's, what's interesting is people in the world 
have a head start on us Christians on some of this stuff. You know, I think it's, I think it's so weird, but it's, it's everywhere. They have sports psychologists now. You know, and so, I, I mean, I, I, saw, I was watching a golf tournament this summer, and, you know, the, these top golfers have their own psychologist that travels with them so that they keep their mind focused. What are they doing? They're giving them the right filter. They're getting them to think right. What is this word of God? This is, this is our filter. This is to get us looking at the right thing, thinking on the right thing, dwelling on the right thing, looking through this and seeing things the way that we ought to. We see ourselves as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We no longer see ourselves as that poor, miserable sinner saved by grace. You were a poor, miserable sinner, but you were saved by grace. So that no longer defines you, that no longer describes you. And so we've got to, we, we, we look through this filter and we begin to see ourselves as we truly are. I mean, football teams have their psychiatrists or psychologists now. You know, why to get them, get their minds thinking right before the ball game. You know, we're talking about worldly stuff here. Here we're talking about eternal things. And I, I think if we, we've got to keep our thoughts right in, in worldly things that are going to burn in the end, how important it is, it, is it that we, we keep our focus right when we're, when we're dealing with eternal things? And I'm not telling you to go out and find a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I'm telling you, get into the Word of God. It'll beat any psychiatrist or psychologist that you'll ever encounter. You know, I remember years back I was frustrated with my counseling. And, and so I joined up, got hooked up with uh, National Christian Counselors Association. That's when I got into the temperament tests and so forth. And, and so in the studying of it, I got my, my bachelor's and then I got my master's and even went on and got my doctorate in Christian counseling and so forth. And, and then I realized something. The most effective counseling you can ever have in your life is when you'll take the Word of God and apply it in your life. And I realized something as a, as a Christian counseling counselor, the best counsel I could ever give somebody is stop dwelling on what you're dwelling on and pick up your Bible and find the passages that relate to your situation and begin to speak it over your life and begin to believe it and begin to act upon it you know, and so <clears throat> I won't tell you what those papers are good for, you know, but, you know, the best advice you can ever get is right here. And so we begin to see ourselves the way the Bible describes us, the way the Bible defines us. You know, people keep saying, you know, well, you know, to live the Christian life is so difficult. Well, it's interesting that Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. So, so then why is it so difficult? Because we're not doing it his way. We're not yoked up to him. We've frustrated grace. We're not walking by grace. We're, we're trying to do it in our own effort. And the moment that we begin to try to do it in our own effort, we're basically on our own because we say, God, I don't need you. I can do it. 
We need to trust him. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Well, that's in, in Matthew 11, uh, 28 and 29 through 30. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No one, listen to me. When, when, that, when that comes at you, oh, this is just so hard. It's, so, I, it's just so hard. And you just say, no, it's not. It's easy because I'm yoked up with Jesus. And so my burden is light. Burdens are heavy. <laughs> That's why we're to roll him over onto Jesus. He's the burden bearer. We're not supposed to carry him. And so oftentimes we're trying to carry stuff that we're not, we're not equipped, we're not qualified to carry it. You know, you've heard my story, how my hair fell out because I wanted to carry everybody's burden. You know, I'm the pastor, so, you know, that's my responsibility to, you know, to carry everybody's burden. I realized I can't even handle my own burdens. And so how am I going to carry somebody else's? I can't. What we can do, it says we're to bear one another's burden. If you read that, it's in Galatians. If you read that in the context of it, it the, the impression is that we're to, bury it to, we're to bear it together. And what that means is I'm to help you to lift the burden off of you and put it on Jesus where it belongs because he'll, he'll carry it for each and every one of us. And so we need to Allow him to be our burden barrier, bearer. Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. In your presence, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You will show me the path of life. In your presence. And so if he's showing us the path of life, obviously it's in his presence. Or how else is he going to show it? You know, nobody's ever been able to show me something if they've not been there to show me. He wants to show us the path of life. That means we're in his presence. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He wants to, us to experience that abundance. God's will is expressed. You know, there's a lot of people that'll argue with this one, but I, I really believe that this is true. God's will is expressed through his grace. Well, I don't know what God's will is for me. Find his grace. Find his grace and you'll find his will because it's expressed through it. God's grace is expressed through the fact that he desires for you to uh, have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's his will expressed to you. His will is expressed to you by the fact that by grace you've been saved through faith. So it's his will for you to be saved. His grace is expressed to you or his will is expressed to you through his grace that by his stripes you have been healed. It's not by your stripes, it's by his stripes that you've been healed. His, his grace expresses his will to you in that he became poor that you might become rich. 
that he might supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. That's his, that's his will expressed through his grace. And when we can begin to see that, you know, it, to me, it just, it just changes everything. Because all of a sudden, I don't just see it as something that he did for me. I begin to see that it's his will for me. He provided it for me because that's his, that's his will for me. And we want his will to be manifest in our lives. In Ephesians 3, 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. The power that works in us is his faith. Is faith. But we use that faith to receive his grace. And so that, that power is in us. You have, you have all the faith you need. Every one of us, as born-again believers, according to Romans 12, 3, we've received the measure of faith. We have the measure of faith. We have all the faith. We need to receive everything that Jesus has done for us. Now, I believe we can grow in faith, but growing in faith is simply growing in our confidence in what Jesus has done for us. And the way that we grow in confidence is by <clears throat> experiencing it. You know, David, when he, when he charged Goliath, what were the words that came out of his mouth? I killed the lion, I killed the bear. What's this uncircumcised Philistine to me? You healed me of the cold, you healed me of this. What's this latest thing the enemy's trying to put upon my life? You know, in every area of our life, you know, if, if we've walked with Jesus for more than a week, we've experienced him. In one way or another, we've experienced him and we've experienced him over and over again. You know, this, this, these last months have been interesting for me because, you know, of course, you all know that I think back to certain events quite a bit all the time because I talk about them. But I've, I've, I've thought back about um, what God has done over the last 39 years that I've been in the ministry and so forth. And the last 45 years that I've experienced him as my Lord and Savior. And you begin to, you begin to, dwell upon those things and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God not by dwelling on my experience but you know what it does it builds me up in my most holy faith and it 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 gives me confidence that you know God has done this all along the way and you know what he's not changed and so that means he's still doing it today and so, you know, every once in a while we may hit a bump in the road where something happens that, that it, it, it tries to shipwreck our faith. Tries to take us to that place, you know, where we, we begin to question things all over again. But you know what we do is we go back and we see how God has been faithful all along and I don't understand this situation right now, but you know what? There's one thing that I know. You're faithful. And so because you've taken me all this way, I know that you're not going to fail me now. I know that you're not going to let me down now because you're the same. Circumstances may have changed, but you're the same. You don't ever, you don't ever change. And so we put our trust in him. In, in 2 Kings, um, I don't really have time to read it. But in, in 2 Kings, re, read that for yourself. You're, you're familiar with the, uh, 
um, the story. It's the story about the Shemanite, I think I pronounced that right, woman, and how, you know, the prophet used to come by that area, and so um, she would uh, feed him and so forth. And, and one day she had this revelation. She said to her husband, you know, let's, uh, let's build on a little room um, for, for the prophet. And so when he's in the area, um, he, can, he can come in here and he can rest and he can sleep. And, and you know, put a, they put a bed in there and a little table with a, with a little chair and so forth. So the prophet had a place to go when he had come into that area. And, and so the prophet wanted to bless the woman. And, and so, you know, she said she didn't need anything, want anything. And so the guy that was helping the prophet says, well, you know, um, she doesn't have any children and her husband's getting old. You know, and so there's not much hope there. And, you know, and, and we may not look at that at, at that big of a deal, but in the culture of the day, it was, it was the responsibility of the children then to take care of, uh, of their parents, Aaron. You know, and so things really don't change that much. It's, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so don't, don't forget that, you know, that it's your responsibility to take care of us if uh, that time should arise. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And so anyway, so he, he says, next year at this time, you're going to have a son. Yeah, I think she kind of doubted it, but next year at that time she had a son. The son grew up and he, he's out in the field of the father and one day he, he has this horrible headache and the father does the typical thing uh, when one of the children is sick. He says, take him to his mother. And so she, they take him into the, to the mother and she's holding him in and, and he dies. And so she uh, says, take him up to the prophet's bed and they take him up and put him on the prophet's bed and she, she says to one of the servants go get me a get a donkey um, we're, we're going for a, for a trip and so they take off and they're going to the and the husband says why, why, why are you doing this it's not a it's not a festival it's not a time for you to take your tithe and she just says all is well and she takes off and she's riding and the prophet sees her coming at a distance and recognizes who it is and so he sends a servant out and and uh, goes and says, see, ask him if everything's okay. Is it your husband? Is it your child? Is everything okay? The servant goes out there. What's her response? All is well. The kid is dead. And she says, all is well. I mean, she knew it before the teaching on positive confession came out. She was saying the right thing. And so, you know, she said, all is well. And so eventually... She gets there and says, go ahead of me and put my um, staff on the child and I'll be there in a moment. And he, he, he got there and, and the child was restored to health. But notice about the woman, um, she had confidence. She wouldn't, she wouldn't accept the circumstances because the promise overrode that. The promise was you're going to have a son. It didn't say you're going to have a son for a few years and that was going to be the end of it. You're going to have a son. And it, and it goes on if we take it the culture of the day because the purpose of that son was so that when you're old, he's going to be there to take care of you. Well, now it appeared that it wasn't going to be that way. But it was turned around. 
because when the prophet came, um, the boy lived. Second Peter 3, and, and again, that's Schroeder's paraphrase. Um, read it for yourself. Second Kings 4, 8 through 37. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack. I like this verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why doesn't Jesus come back? Because he's long-suffering. Because he's long-suffering, he's not slack concerning his promise because it's his will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so he's going to delay his coming as long as he can so that those that are to be saved can be saved, that there's an opportunity for them to, um, to come to the truth. He's not slack. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, and that's, that's what we see today. There's a way that seems right to men, but what does it produce and what is it leading to? It's leading to death. And death, <clears throat> you know, biblical death isn't always talking about physical death. If you really biblically look at death, what death is, is separation. You know, the day will come if Jesus tarries, I'm going to die. But I'll never cease to exist. There will be a separation. My physical body will be separated from my soul and my spirit. My physical body, probably stick in a box and put in the ground someplace. But my soul and my spirit will immediately be in the presence of God. There's separation. We see that throughout life. We, we see that there's, there, there's death of things. There's a separation. You know, there, there can be a, a death in a business where an individual can be prosperous, but then for one reason or another, um, they go bankrupt. What happens? There's a separation. And that's how life is. And that's what he's saying here. There, there, there's a lot of these areas. We look at it in, in man's eyes. They've determined there's a right way to do it. But the end of it is going to lead to death. It's going to lead to a separation. It's not going to lead to what God truly intended. And the reason for that is Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. It says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there be many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there be few who find it. You know, and so, it isn't that he intends for it to be difficult. It's difficult from the standpoint that we have to put down self. We have to say, okay, God, this is how it is. Okay, this is how it is. But what we want to do is we want to, we want to put our own slant on it. I mean, we want to say, you know, as long as we believe something, 
You know, I believe there are many ways to God. And so that's what I believe. Well, it's going to lead you to death and destruction. Because Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other way to the Father but through me. And so there's a lot of other gates. And some of those gates are really broad. They're wide. I mean, you can go through that gate and you can believe anything that you want. But it's not going to lead you to life. It's going to lead you to destruction. You know, a relative of mine one time said, you know, uh, I believe it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. He says, even if you believe in the devil, at least you're believing something. It's hard for me to believe that I had anybody related to me that could be that stupid. But we did. What do we believe? We believe what Jesus says. And Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the way. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. You know, and any other way will lead to destruction. But it comes back full circle. It comes back to what we talked about in the first place. Why do we not accept that? Because of unbelief. We choose to believe something else rather than choose what Jesus says about himself. Because we choose to believe what somebody else says rather than what Jesus says about himself, it ultimately leads to death and destruction. But we don't, we're not going that way. Amen. Our way is narrow. Jesus is the way. And uh, he's made the way for each and every one of us. So Father, we thank you tonight for truth. We receive truth. We accept truth. We walk in truth. And therefore, we experience the abundance that's been made available to us. And so we just uh, thank you for your word tonight. We seal it by the Holy Spirit. We want your way to be accomplished in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed.